The Old Covenant reading for this morning is taken from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. We'll be reading through verse 3 this morning. This is a very short passage, but it's one of the most important passages in the Bible. And what you'll discover if you keep this passage in mind is you'll hear echoes of it all through the rest of redemptive history. Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. The word of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here endeth the Old Covenant reading. The New Covenant reading is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 7. We'll be reading through verse 12 this morning. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 7. The word of our God. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, to him it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Here endeth the new covenant reading. Please keep your place here. As this will be the primary portion of God's word, for our morning sermon. Top-notch salespeople are among the very best paid employees in almost any business. And the reason for this is obvious. First of all, it's really hard to recruit and to retain truly top-notch sales talent. And second, no sales, no business. If you've never worked in sales before, something about sales might surprise you. Many people, when they first get into sales, fail to do the most basic thing, and that is to ask the other person for the sale. It seems like there's something hardwired into each one of us where what we really want is the customer to simply place the order without us having to go out there on the limb and say, I'm going to push you to that place where you ought to make a commitment. Uh, Even if you've never been in sales, you could probably relate to the young man who doesn't ask the young woman he's got his eye on out because he's afraid of being turned down. And so he ends up watching her go out with someone else. John Paul Jones once put it, he who will not risk cannot win. On the other hand, Some people don't make it in sales because they fall off the ditch on the other side of the road. 
Uh, they are so focused on their work as salesmen that they become pushy. Such people forget to focus on what's important to the client, to the customer. They're so focused on, on themselves and getting a transaction done that they end up ruining their relationships. I, I trust that almost any of you, at least any of you who are older, have experienced this. And frankly, it's not a good thing. When another person simply sees you as a transaction to get a commission, you don't want to do business with them. And, and so that's one of the things that happens in such Salespeople, if they don't change their practice, um, they usually burn out rather quickly because this approach annoys customers and it doesn't lead to building long-term relationships. Now, one of the great things about free market capitalism is simply this. The way businesses succeed is they provide and create value for their clients and customers. It's really that straightforward. They create value for the people and therefore the other people want to buy their product. Uh, if you're working for a company that's not creating value for other people, you need to work to change your company, or you need to work to change your company and go work somewhere else, because that's not a business that's going to succeed long term. And so the top-notch salesperson working for a company that's creating real value, he, he tries to understand what the priorities are of the client. And then he matches up the capacities of the business to the client's priorities to give them true value. And because he or she rec recognizes that they're giving value to the client, they have the confidence to actually ask for the sale. Now, you might be wondering, what in the world does this have to do with prayer? Well, thankfully, we don't have to sell God on anything. But the truth is, is the skills about becoming a good salesperson actually overlap to a great deal with those of becoming a man or woman of prayer. We have to come to recognize what God's priorities are, and we actually have to ask him for things. It really is that straightforward. We need to focus on the Lord's priorities, and this is one of the reasons I suspect that the Lord's prayer begins, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But second, we actually have to be about the business of prayer. Right? We can't just understand prayer in the abstract. We have to get on our knees, we sit in our hearts, and ask and seek and knock. We simply need to do it. We're going to look at this morning's passage under three main headings. First, ask your father. Second, trust your father. And third, imitate your father. That's pretty straightforward, but let me give those to you again. Ask your father. Trust your father. Imitate your father. We begin with our Lord's command that we are to regularly come to our father in heaven, asking him to act. Verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. The first thing to grasp about the commands in these verses is that they are not about prayer in general 
as though prayer, prayer is a technique that has power. These commands are given to the disciples, to the children of God, and they are not actually appropriate for anyone else. Unless we have God as our Father, the only thing we ought to be approaching Almighty God with is pleased that he would unite us to Jesus Christ and therefore forgive us of all of our sins. Now, this is one of the reasons why I don't like the shorthand slogan. I put in the right context, it's true. But I don't like this shorthand slogan that I believe in the power of prayer. Because ultimately, we don't believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of our Father in heaven. And prayer is just us talking to our Father so that he will act on our behalf. We believe in the power of Almighty God, who in Christ loves us with an everlasting love. Nevertheless, for those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, our Lord and Savior in this passage is giving us commands. He is commanding us to regularly be about the business of prayer. Please notice that Jesus is, in fact, giving us commands. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Ask, seek, and knock are all imperatives in the Greek. They're actually present imperatives, and this means two things for us. First of all, regular prayer is not a nice optional extra for some Christians. Jesus is telling all of us as his disciples, are you going to follow me? Then pray. Be about the business of talking to your father. Second, the aspect of these verbs is continuous or iterative. That is, it's not a once-off thing. I can't say, oh, ask. Well, yeah, I did that three weeks ago. I checked that box. Right? Jesus is saying your ordinary life, day in and day out, should be marked by repeatedly coming to your Father, seeking to commune with him, of course, seeking that his will would be done, and making petitions that God would act for his glory in this world and for your good. As you all know, there are many things in life where consistency and persistence are really important. Prayer is like that. Right? We all know that. Um, nevertheless, we can't help but notice that Planet Fitness is a lot busier the first three weeks in January, after everybody has made their New Year's resolutions, than it is at the end of March, right? So what we need is something that's going to motivate us to remain consistent and persistent, whether it's an exercise, but also very much with prayer. And Jesus gives us this very thing. Along with telling us to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, and to keep on knocking, Jesus tells us, what will happen if we do? Our Lord says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. I mean, those are really strong motivations. Jesus is saying, if you do A, God will do B. Right? That ought to, that ought to really change our attitude toward prayer. It's not the thing we do when we despair of anything else. We've run out of options. Now we ought to pray. Instead, it ought to be the ordinary part of our life. The first thing we do is we're thinking about what God has laid before us for this day. Of course, there's a question, does it matter? 
Will not the Lord give just as generously even if we don't ask? Do you understand that question? Because I think this is actually one that is in the back of a lot of Christians' head. Does it matter whether or not I regularly commit to prayer? Will not the Lord give just as generously whether I pray regularly or actually quite sporadically? And I want to say, first of all, that misunderstands the whole point of prayer. Right? The point of prayer is not that God's a vending machine, so you throw in a prayer and out comes your Coke or a Mercedes-Benz, which you, you know, might be asking for. Right? That, that's not how it works. The point of prayer is you're cultivating a warm and mutually loving relationship with your Father who is in heaven. Right? So, so it, that question, to some degree, misses the whole point of prayer. And yet the Bible answers that question. Does it make any difference? Will not God give you the very same things whether you ask for them or not? And James says, you have not because you ask not. I mean, that's not that complicated to understand. Go ahead and apply that to your own life and think about what you're not asking God for right now that is a good thing that the best you could tell is within his will. And apply that truth from James. You have not because you ask not. And if we pause and think about it, we can see how these two realities fit together. Since our greatest good is knowing, loving, and glorifying God, our Heavenly Father loves us too much to give us the things that we don't ask for so that we become satisfied with mere things rather than satisfied with Him. See, God has so ordered prayer that when you pursue the things and the goals that he has set before you through prayer, it actually cultivates your relationship with him, which is so much better. Uh, let me say this to the, to the young people here for a moment. Uh, if the only time you talk to your parents is when you want them to give you something, you are abusing your relationship. Do, do you understand that? If the only time you talk to your parents is when you want them to give you something, you are abusing the relationship. Your parents are so much more important than whatever they might give to you. Beloved, that's the same thing for all of us with God. If you're only going to God to get things, you're abusing your relationship with him. Almighty God is so much more important than anything he might give you other than himself. And so the Lord has so constituted prayer as a means of getting his will done in the world so that as we pursue that means, we get something better than what we're asking for. We get a deeper relationship with God himself. The fact is, our prayerlessness does cause us to miss out on both the deeper relationship with our Heavenly Father that could be ours, while also causing us to miss out on the blessings that the Lord would bring about through our prayers. And Jesus doesn't want you to miss out. And so Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Who receives? Every child of God who asks, receives. There isn't a single exception. Jesus says everyone, because Jesus means 
Everyone. While the meaning is the same, I do wish the translators uh, would have continued this all the way through the verse. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, it will be opened. And yet I trust that even apart from doing that, making explicit what I wish they had made explicit, you can all see that that's what Jesus has in mind. He's giving an open-ended promise to every one of his people that when you pray to God, he listens with love. He doesn't necessarily give you what you ask for. He does something better. Because we don't always ask for the right things. But when we pray, we can be confident that our Father in heaven is always looking upon us in love, seeking to bless us through our own prayers. Well, the application's obvious. Ask, right? That's the conclusion we should have. Therefore, ask your Father, because you trust your Father, and because you take Jesus, what he's saying in this passage, at his word. Look at verses 9 through 11 with me. Jesus continues, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, Jeffrey Gibbs makes an interesting and I think really important observation about this passage. It'd be easy to think that because Jesus is giving us those imperatives of ask, seek, and knock, that that's the focus of the passage. Professor Gibbs points out that it's not the actions of the disciples that Jesus is emphasizing, but rather the actions of the Father who is so amazingly willing to give. That's actually the focus. Yes, we are being called to consistency and persistence in prayer. But the major notes are the stunning, unconditional promise that Jesus makes in verse 7. And then this current comparison of the Lord to merely human fathers. What are earthly fathers typically like? Well, many of you are fathers. When children ask a human father for food... We don't give them a rock to chew on. You know, if they ask us for a piece of fish, we do not give them a poisonous serpent. That is not what human fathers do. Even people who are, frankly, not that nice in their lives. Sinful human beings, which we all are, even sinful human beings who are not given the regenerating work and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, tend to give their young children good gifts. Common sense, common decency, and the rhetoric of Jesus' questions all combine to provide an emphatic answer to the question of, do fathers do this to their children, give them rocks and serpents? And the answer is an emphatic no. I'm not saying there's not some strange, messed up person on the face of the earth who does that. But Jesus is talking about the ordinary course of humanity. Even though we are selfish by nature, we know how to do this. And so Jesus ups the ante. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? John Stott writes, 
Jesus here assumes, even asserts, the inherent sinfulness of human nature. Right? Jesus is not making a comparison here of, well, you're good fathers. Your father in heaven's a good father. So it's on the same lines. He's saying, you guys are a bunch of sinners. You're evil by nature. And even you know how to do good things. How much more your father in heaven, who is perfectly good, without any shadow of turning. The force of the illustration lies more in the contrast than in the comparison between God and men. If human parents, although evil, know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will our Heavenly Father, who is wholly good, give good things to those who ask him? Now, even the best fathers on earth, the most sanctified fathers on earth, are finite and fallible. Everything that we could hope to be or to have in a human father, your father in heaven is all that and so much more. This good news about what your heavenly father is like ought to lead you to a far deeper and more consistent life of prayer. Think about who you're going to. James Montgomery Boyce puts it like this. If a young man wants to ask his father for something, he will pattern his request on the nature and the temperament of his father. If the father is ill-tempered and stingy, the young man will ask for little. He will take care to present his need in the most winsome and unobjectionable manner. If the father is good-natured and generous, the child will present his need openly and with great confidence. We saw this very thing a few weeks back when we looked at the introduction to the Lord's Prayer. There we saw that what you think about God will determine how you pray. Beloved, that's a truth that will stand forever. But we need to add something to it from this passage. Your Father in Heaven is more good-natured and generous than you would ever even dream or imagine. Do you get that? Your, your father's not like just a really good human father. He surpasses us in excellence in every possible way. Your father in heaven is more good-natured and more generous than you would even dare to imagine. So keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Ask your father Trust your father, and now imitate your father. In many ways, it's not just verse 7 through 11, but everything so far in the Sermon on the Mount, which leads up to this glorious call upon our lives, that by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we become imitators of our father who is in heaven. Look at verse 12 with me. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now some commentators approach this verse, which actually very early in church history came to be known as uh, the golden rule. Some commentators approach this verse like it's just a once-off maxim that, you know, Matthew had to put it in somewhere, he stuck it in here. But that's not what's going on. And you can tell that because the first word in the sentence is the word... So, 
This word is often translated, therefore. Jesus is making a direct connection between the golden rule and what he's told us about seeking our Father in prayer, in particular, about our Father's goodness. He's saying, the way that you pray and the way that you live have to be joined together. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. After all, the Lord taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Right? Prayer is not something that we can cut out of the rest of our life and go off in the corner and go, if I say these words right, I'm going to get all kinds of blessings on me. It, Jesus is saying, no, this is integrated. In fact, God has called you to imitate him, and prayer is part of the way that you learn and are empowered to do this. Indeed, just like Abraham, think about that from our old covenant passage from Genesis 12, 1 to 3, just like with Abraham, the Lord is blessing us both with his presence and also by answering our prayers in part so that we would become a blessing to other people. You are blessed to be a blessing. Nevertheless, the fact that we are to respond to the Lord's goodness towards us by showing the same sort of goodness to our neighbors provides us with some very practical insights. We start with young people. Young people, all of us who are fathers, all of us, we wish we could say to you, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. I'm a father, God's a father. If you look at me, God is just like I am. We wish we could say that, but the truth is we often have to say, God isn't like me. Not only am I finite and fallible, sometimes I'm really selfish. I get irritable. Sometimes, because I'm selfish, I actually do what's better for me than what's better for you. I really do. I regret that, but it's true. It's true of your fathers, too. And see, I have to say, God isn't like that at all. Now, if you would come to me or your parents and say, I need some help with something, how much more should you be going to your father in heaven, who's never irritable, who loves you with a perfect love in Jesus Christ, and say, Father... Help me, I have needs. Help me, I don't understand. Father, I want to be useful for your kingdom. Go to him. He will answer those prayers. You ought to regularly run into your heavenly Father's presence with both confidence and joy, knowing that he will respond to all your requests with both wisdom and love. And yet Jesus is telling us that we're to do something else as well. Whether you're a father or a mother... And actually, whether you're 6 or 16, God is calling you to become an imitator of your Father who is in heaven. Every single one of you who's a disciple of Jesus Christ, God is saying, you are called to be like me. Right? It's a glorious calling. And Jesus is calling you to imitate the goodness of your heavenly Father through how you treat other people. Jesus says... Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, whatever you wish, of course, needs to be qualified by whatever you would wish if you were actually sanctified and seeking God's glory and God's will in this moment. As I mentioned earlier, you know, you can't just go, Lord, I'd like a Mercedes Benz, and God's going to give it to you. That's actually also true in the way you're supposed to carry out the golden rule. 
uh, young people, I'm going to give this um, illustration to your parents and your grandparents, but uh, actually you'll, you'll hear of this and it'll make good sense to you, I trust. Um, parents, if you have a child who routinely mismanages his or her money, and that child comes to you and says, I am broke, I need money for X, the loving thing to do might very well be not to give them a dime, right? Uh, they can't go, well, you know, I really want the money, you should do to me as I want, because that's not the loving thing to do. It is more important that your children learn how to manage money responsibly, the resources God is putting in their hands, then they're able to buy that next thing that they want. On the other hand, you might be the parents of an adult child who is really reluctant to ask you for anything. Maybe they actually have the wrong view about how you see them. They see you as harsh. Um, maybe they just are so committed to standing on their own two feet that they're really reluctant to ask anybody for help. And when that young adult child like that comes to you and asks for $50, maybe you ought to give them $200 instead. Uh, to show them your generosity, your commitment to them, and that you really want to bless them. Now, you'll notice that in neither of those cases are you giving your child what they're asking for. But you are precisely imitating your Father in heaven in blessing them in response to their requests. Right? That's the point. The golden rule is about us inhabiting God's character and making it known in the world by how we treat other people. There's an interesting connection between the golden rule with something that came early in the Sermon on the Mount, a connection that's important for us to make. Back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus declared, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Do you understand what Jesus is saying in this passage in the golden rule? connects directly to that. There Jesus was talking about how he fulfilled the law. Now he's talking about how we fulfill the law. Jesus is telling us that we are to fulfill the law by keeping the golden rule. There are two important truths from this connection. And sadly, I must say, these truths are not only frequently neglected, they are frequently attacked right now in North American Christianity, but they are the truth of the living God. First, when Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them, the word fulfill means that Jesus was going to do what the law and the prophets required. That is, Jesus was going to fulfill the law by keeping it. Second, Instead of the coming of Christ making our obedience unnecessary, the coming of Christ and the subsequent outpouring of the Holy Spirit now makes your obedience possible. See, apart from the work of God in your life, apart from being united with Christ and having the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, you couldn't possibly keep the law. Now, yes, it's true, you will not keep the law perfectly. That's fine, because you're not going to be justified on the basis of the law but your life as one of Christ's disciples ought to be marked out by increasing faithfulness according to his word and the power of the Holy Spirit, but increasing faithfulness that your Father in heaven looks down upon your life and he smiles. He's not just pleased with you because you're in Jesus Christ. 
He's pleased with you because you're becoming like Jesus Christ. So let's remember the golden rule does not replace biblical law. The golden rule fulfills biblical law. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Well, there you have it. Jesus is telling us, ask your father, trust your father, and imitate your father. Uh, That sounds simple, and in fact it is. But it brings us face to face with an obvious problem. Beloved, you have neither the power nor the wisdom to carry out the golden rule. Do you understand the problem? Jesus is saying you're going to fulfill the law by loving your neighbor as yourself, by carrying out the golden rule, and you have neither the power nor the wisdom to do that. But God does. And God says, ask, seek, knock. You don't have these things to carry out God's call on your life. But your Father in heaven most certainly does. So keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks it will be opened. For if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things To all who ask him, so ask. Amen.